0: All right, now we will have the sermon brought to us today by our pastor, Mr. Lawrence Gregory, entitled Where Are Enoch and Elijah? Good afternoon. I know there are many topics lessons, scriptures, that uh, can be the basis for our Sabbath messages here. Today I'll use a basic question that uh, was the basis for my first message after 15 years in the church in 1975. I used the small booklet that was written by Herman Hay and uh, later uh, was uh, published by the Worldwide Church of God. And then in 1978, Tom Justice printed this booklet after uh, it helped him back in the 50s. And uh, we have made this available to the uh, website uh, for CGOM and uh, Tulsa Church of God on our websites, uh, the little booklet uh, of um, the question, Where Are Enoch and Elijah? Now, for those of us who are longtime members, this is a uh, basic question. We already know the answer. But for those on the internet that are tuning in, uh, or maybe new members that uh, don't understand the significance and the importance of that question, we do have this booklet that is available through uh, CGOM or our Tulsa Church of God, or in fact, it's right over here, copies of it on our Sabbath bulletin. So the question is, where are Enoch and Elijah? Now, the um, common belief by many is that uh, they're up in heaven and that uh, maybe they've come back and forth to earth several times. This is uh, seemingly a popular teaching that uh, maybe one of them at least will be one of the two witnesses that is in the future in Jerusalem. And uh, so our question is, where are Enoch and Elijah? So... Let's see if this is so. If they're up in heaven, or if they're alive, or awake, or where they are exactly. Now, Jesus said in John, the third chapter, verse 13, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So, we know Jesus was in heaven. He came from there. And he said... No man had ascended to heaven, so they weren't there, but we have other scriptures that tell us that uh, when the spirit goes to sleep, it ascends to heaven and it returns to God who gave it, so it is asleep in an unconscious, uh, dead, what we call death and sleep, we use that synonymous, secured by God not conscious, not awake, not flying around in the heavens, not up in outer space, not, nor at the throne of God. So, in 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter, I have a number of verses that we will uh, look at today that are very common to all of us. Uh, so often we read these verses, but uh, like I said, this is geared more to uh, new members and the internet today who are tuning in to uh, answer this question. and. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse, uh, oh, 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, we'll just break into a number of verses here because uh, uh, we'll come back here to 1 Corinthians a a couple of times. But let's go to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 4. says, For we that are in this tabernacle, this body, do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So mortality means we can die. We're physical. We're going to be able to die, not live forever in this flesh. In Hebrews 9.27, here again, if I would ask, uh, raise your hand, how many know what this scripture says? Probably a lot of you would do this, but we'll read it anyway. Hebrews 9 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And there's more about this. We, we won't go into all of that, but it's appointed unto man once to die. So we're mortal, we're physical, we're all going to die. And we read that in Romans 3.23. Let's go to uh, Romans, a couple of uh, chapters here. 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, we read this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Let's just be clear. Every human being who has ever lived from Adam, everyone, up to the time and only exception is Jesus Christ, has sinned. Now, the consequences of sin is death because we're mortal. Every human being from Adam that has inherited the human flesh and is in Adam and Eve's image, in the image of God, are human, are going to die. Because they're sinners. And because it's appointed unto God for them once to die. Everybody. We're not going to get out of it. We're not going to get around it. So, I'm trying to establish uh, some things here that are very basic for us to understand and and know. Now, let's go to the book of John in the 8th chapter. And verse 51 Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Okay. Uh, This on the outside sounds like, well, if we're Christian, if we're a believer, if we are following Jesus, we're not going to die. But that's not what the the Greek is intended and what it is saying in fact. Uh, Let's go to... um, the 11th chapter, verse 26. 11, 26. Jesus said, and this is talking about at the uh, time of um, Lazarus and the resurrection and his uh, conversation with Martha. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believe you this. So in our English, it sounds like believers that believe in Jesus will never die. But the real explanation of that and the true reading from the Greek is that shall not die forever. You can go check up your diaglot or check in your Greek or, or check in some other translations that might be able to help you. So what Jesus is saying is that whoever believes in him will not die forever, will not We'll have a physical first death, but we're going to look at this a little later, a second death, a death of eternity. So, we will not, uh, as we believe in Jesus, will not die forever. But there's going to be the first death, and then the second, possibly, will have to be faced and avoided if we're believers. It can be avoided if we uh, believe. Now, go back to uh, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I want us to establish just some basic foundational uh, teachings here concerning life and death and our mortality and uh, our physical uh, future on this earth. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And verse uh, 13. Uh, First, if you read, you know, you're familiar about Hebrews, it begins uh, listing some of the... uh, uh, descendants, the righteous descendants from Abel and, and Adam and Enoch and different ones of, of righteous Jacob and, and different ones are mentioned here, Sarah and so forth. But verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises and having seen them afar off and were persuaded in them and confe- and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And verse 39 These all, and more is added in another list, Moses and others, uh, prophets and righteous individuals, some named and some unnamed, but a description of what uh, many righteous have uh, withstood in the evil uh, people that they had to withstand and how these all, verse 39, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, what was the promise? Titus tells us, If we go to Titus, the first chapter, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We have a lot in this verse. We just have to slip over it quickly. But, before way back in time at the beginning of God's planning and as he began to establish his purpose that he was going to bring many sons into glory he determined that he would give a promise of eternal life to those who would qualify those who would accept those who would believe and uh, a lot of uh, ramifications of that belief and, and on the son Jesus Christ and keep his commandments and Uh, righteous. And so many of us know what a righteous person is and that that person will receive eternal life if they're faithful to the end and overcome to the end. If they stop believing or stop being faithful or they give up or quit, the promise is nullified. They're going to face the consequences of that decision. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Let's go back there. 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, there is is so much in this chapter, but I'm just going to look at a few verses here. Verse uh, 18. Then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If a person is not a believer, if there's no resurrection, if they are a believer and they've died, if there's no resurrection, the consequences is eternal death, eternal sleep. They'll just that sleep will that death will continue on. And yet, Revelation, uh, pardon me, let's go to verse 22, verse 22 and 23, while we're here. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, and then comes the end, and uh, there's several uh, resurrections and... um, you know, things that consider for all of humanity and their own timing there's a t- there's a time for everyone, but let's go to Revelation the twentieth chapter, and just uh one verse there, Revelation twenty and verse uh, fourteen. Okay, you're already there ahead of me. I like to read out of my Bible, and I know it's on the wall there where you can see it, but uh, revelation twenty fourteen and death and hell. We're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So now, there's two deaths. Okay? The first death is one that every human being will experience. That's, we're mortal. We're going to die at some age. Might be a thousand years old, or might be 80, or 70, or 60, or 10, or 9 months, or a, a little baby, or whatever. We're mortal. We're going to die. That's the first death. The second death is the consequences of sin. That's the death for eternity. That is final. That is the last enemy that will be destroyed. Over here it says uh, in, um, uh, let's see, um, that's another reference, but uh, back in Corinthians, it says the last enemy, verse 26. I didn't read that while we were there. But the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So when it's all finished and wrapped up, no more death. Only eternal life. Because everyone that is a sinner, an unbeliever, has died forever. No resurrection from that. No, they're, they're dead. They're gone. That's it. Only the believers that will be resurrected, there's no second death on them. They'll live forever. All, all, all eternity will be with God forever and ever, dwelling with Him and Him with us. Won't that be something? That's, that's, that's hard to imagine, hard to picture an eternity uh, it's a glorious thing to be with god forever and we know from many scriptures that we'll be given our, our work as our in revelation 22 says it'll be given to us according to what our work shall be so we'll have some activity won't be catch potatoes we'll be busy we'll be working we'll be productive but for all eternity it'll be a glorious wonderful positive thing no more sin no more devil no more Uh, death to face, no unhappiness, no crying, no sorrow, no losing family. Being everybody that is eternally uh, secure in their salvation will be there with God forever and ever. So that's a wonderful glorious thing. Now that's basic and foundational. And uh, we've looked at scriptures, a few, not all, but many scriptures uh, show this uh, uh, what I've said in kind of uh, uh, variation of uh, a lot of uh, doctrines and a lot of scriptures uh, briefly. Now, let's go to specifically. Uh, first thing, and I'll mention this, the, the, the reason for the message today came because of a conversations uh, recently with uh, some long-term members uh, who've had uh, questions about and confusion about this subject. So, I hope that uh, for uh, us old timers it'll be a good positive review and I hope for new, newer ones uh, on the internet or that are here in uh, person to request uh, the booklet and get uh, some of these very same things that I've been talking about today. You can read it and study it and guide you through your Bible. But we want to look at uh, Enoch. Now, let's go to uh, first. Uh, I think it would be good to, uh, while we're still in Revelation, just back up a little bit to Jude. The 14th verse in Jude, just before the book of Revelation, uh, 25 verses, only one chapter, and uh, verse 14, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, now this is important, this is very important, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, behold, now uh, Jude is laying out uh, a scenario of wicked, evil people who have rejected God and uh, who have uh, undertaken other things. You can go back through the earlier verses of Jude and see what he's talking about. This is brother of Jesus who uh, uh, knew and was inspired by the Holy Spirit and maybe some help from Jesus to know and to declare some of the sinful conduct of human beings and of angels. And uh, now he says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. I'll just continue on because it's... a Continuation, verse 15, it's not, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, To execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Him who? could be two things, him that's spoken against God or against Enoch. Now, let's just keep our open mind here. Uh, regardless, these ungodly people in the days of Enoch were speaking evil things of him. Whether we say that him was God, the personal pronoun here, or whether we say it was Enoch, just, just keep in mind that there was a lot of evil speaking against him. Now, let's go back to Genesis, the fifth chapter, and uh, look at uh, the history of the genealogy here. Genesis, the fifth chapter, verse uh, 17. All the days of, uh, well, let's go, verse uh, 18. Verse 18. And Jared lived a hundred sixty and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch eight hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. So go back to uh, let's see here. Chapter 4, verse 17. That was where I, I'm let me correct my notes here. This should have been chapter 4, 17, and not 517. Because we went to 518. 417. Cain knew his wife, which was his sister and she conceived, and bare Enoch, and he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And uh, now, this Enoch of Cain was the third from Adam. The Enoch in the righteous line of Seth and Enos and uh, Lamech and Methuselah and, and you can go through this genealogy, Say he was the seventh, so there's two Enochs. One Enoch of the line of Cain, who were evil, uh, militaristic, uh, idol worshipping, adversarial to God's way. That line of Cain, and you know the wicked Cain, he slew his brother and uh, built a city and uh, had his progeny begin to spread in their evil way throughout the earth, whereas the righteous sons of God through Seth began to call upon the name of the Lord and call themselves the sons of God and begin to call themselves the righteous sons of God. So you had two, two seed lines of humanity, the wicked evil line of Cain and the righteous line of Adam through Seth. Now what you have here is some, if you look at the names, take them side by side, you'll see some counterfeiting and duplicity. In the line of Cain, they copied the names of The righteous line of Seth, Methuselah, Methusael, Lamech, and uh, Jared, Ired. You know, you can you can look at a and a comparison there and to see. So this Enoch, the third from Adam, was of the line of Cain. But the righteous Enoch was the seventh from Adam of the righteous line of Seth. So you have these two uh, uh, conflicts here of uh, what was going on now. Back to Genesis five, Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible. We'll say the man, the oldest man that lived. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah, three hundred years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, three hundred sixty-five. Interesting date. I'm not going to go into that. I'm going, to stay, I'm going to stay away from the calendar discussions today. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was not what? God took him where? That's a couple of questions. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now, in all of the other uh, patriarchs, you'll read those names, and it says, and they died. But in Enoch's case, it doesn't say, and he died. Let's just look, uh, when you say uh, here, uh, Methuselah lived 807 years and begat Lamech, and after Methuselah lived, after he beget Lamech, 780 and 2 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Methuselah were 960 and 9 years, and he died. And he died is the phrase that occurs after every one of these men. But with Enoch is an exception. And that leaves us to wonder, well, why didn't the scriptures tell us that he died? Because we already have other scriptures that says he died. All men have died. So he died. All his days were 365 years. So God took him. Where did he take him and why? Uh, A part of that we've already uh, uh, looked at and answered. Now, let's go to the New Testament in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And uh, verse 5, where it talks specifically about Enoch. Hebrews eleven five. Uh, those of you who know all of this, wake up. Because <laughs> uh, I know this is uh, uh, basic foundational to uh, a lot of you. Hebrews 11, let me back up here, 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it's impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So by faith Enoch was translated. Now, what do you mean translated? Well, a lot of people, just superficial readers and uh, nominal Christians, say, well, he was taken to heaven. He was translated to heaven. Does it say that here? Does it say that he went to heaven? Said he was translated. Okay. Three times this word translated occurs in this verse. Two different Greek words. One, the first one is one word, the last two translations is a second work, a basic. Uh, word, not work. Word, word uh, very similar and very basic and very uh, uh, exact in their definition and uh, in their root use. So, uh, first, before we we look at that, uh, let's go to keep your keep your marker there and back up to Colossians, the uh, first chapter. And uh, let's see, verse 13. Uh, begin in verse 12, because it's, it's a continuation of uh, a phrase here, uh, ongoing a number of verses, but let's, let's just start in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Not interesting, saints in light. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated us into the kingdom of his son. Translated us into the kingdom of God. Are we spirit? No. We're flesh. Have we gone to heaven? No. We're on this earth people who have died, have they gone to heaven? No. Jesus said nobody, no man had ascended to heaven. No man. But we do have the scriptures that the spirits of sleeping individuals return to God who gave it. That's in Ecclesiastes and uh, another, another topic here. But this word translated is, uh, the Greek words here are metathesis or metathemy. And this is what, this is what the Greek words mean, to transfer to another place, to change from one place to another, to transfer from one place to another. Now, we have been translated from this darkness of this world, we have been transferred into the kingdom of God. We're members of the kingdom of God. We're not in heaven, we're not spirit. We are members of the kingdom of God. We are members of the church of God. We are members of the body of Christ. We have renounced the hidden things of the world. We have given up the darkness. We have moved. Now, Enoch was not found. Why? Well, if you are not found, that means somebody is looking for you. Now, why were they looking for Enoch? And I am not going to spend too much time on this, but let me just say this. Those of you who have studied know that um, Jewish traditions and histories say that Enoch was a righteous prophet of God and he was proclaiming the word of God to the, as we read in Jude, to the ungodly people of his age. And they, they were, what happens to people, they resent the truth. What are, they, what are they going to do to the two witnesses? What are they going to do to the prophets of God? What are they going to do? What did they do to Jesus Christ? They killed him. They were looking for him. They were trying to kill him, but God took him and protected him and took him to another place, transferred him, translated him so he wasn't found. Now, uh, I can, that is, that is from history, but uh, I'm not going to base our, our understanding of that. We, we want to look at the scriptures and keep in the scriptures here. So, this word translated, we know that it means to go from one place to another, to be changed, uh, and uh, to be uh, transformed. We, we use that word interchangeably. Now, um, Let's go, let's look at uh, Moses briefly here to to establish a little bit of here. Then we're going to look at Elijah, but uh, let's look at, uh, uh, yeah, Moses. Go back to Deuteronomy, the 34th chapter. Deuteronomy 34. We know uh, Moses was not permitted to go into the Holy Land. He had to go up on the mountaintop and he could look over into Canaan. He could see there, and uh, it sure troubled him, uh, you can believe, on missing out after all that he was uh, going through to lead the children of Israel there, but because of his mistakes and his carnality (laughs) and the things he had done wrong, uh, he wasn't permitted uh, to go there. So, 34, verse 6 and 7, beginning verse 5, So Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to to the word of the Lord. Now, remember God had told him, you go up, go up into the mountain and die. Go up there. Because, how would you like to be told? You go over here and die. Uh, how, do you do, how do you just go over there and die? Wow. Well, all of us want to live. You know, go over there and live. That, that's popular. But uh, know that he's not going to survive that. And so, he died according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley. This is God buried Moses in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor. But no man knows of his sepulcher unto this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Nobody knows where he died and was buried and he was buried by God. Now, let's look in Jude, back in Jude the ninth chapter. Go back there. Uh, Ninth verse. Boy, you've got to remember, Jude's only one chapter. Uh, 25 verses. and Kind of slips right in between uh, 3 John's little book and Revelation. Uh, Verse 9 in Jude. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a railing accusation but said, "The Lord rebuke you." And so, it seems like the devil was wanting to know where Moses was, and people would like to have known where Moses was buried. Why? Don't you think religions make relics of bones and objects and venerate uh, the person if they could have had? If the devil could have had Moses' body, what could he have done to it? You know, uh, abused it. Uh, made fun of it. What 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 all could have the devil have done, but God hid Moses so nobody knew and knows where he is. And probably a lot of people have looked for and searched for Moses' body, but haven't been able to find it because God hid it. Now, what about Enoch? All his days were 360. Did he die? Well, Yes, for two reasons: he died. One, he was mortal. Number two, he had sin. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Every person is the wages of sin is death. Now, the way we escape eternal death, the second death, is by we cut that short, by righteousness and by believing, by repenting, by being baptized, by having God's holy Spirit, by overcoming and growing, by being a righteous son of God. We escape. Eternal death, we escape the second death. Okay, so we, we know and understand that. Now let's go to Elijah, and uh, let's go to the book of Second Kings and uh, Chapter two, Second Kings. There's a, there's a lot in here, so I'll just kind of maybe skip through some of this. Uh, Elijah, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Okay, God's going to take Elijah to heaven. That's what it says. Right? Don't argue with that. Okay, now we have to ask a question. Which heaven? Then we have to ask a question. How many heavens are there? Then we answer. Three. One, two, three. Three heavens. Three heavens okay? We have the heavens of this earth, the environment, where the birds fly. The birds fly in heaven. The Bible talks about this. I didn't take a lot of time to go through a lot of scriptures because we know this. The second heaven is outer space where the stars and the moon and, and the planets and the uh, galaxies. That's the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. So we know the scriptures verify. Then we have God's throne where God is, where Christ is, where the angels are, where God's throne is. That's third heaven. That's three heavens. Which heaven was Elijah taken up into? Where would the horses and the uh, Caribbean fly? Well they could fly in heaven, third heaven. They could fly in the second heaven. They came from heaven. Uh, I always laugh and talk about that. I always wonder about that heavenly pasture up there where all those white horses are, you know, and who keeps the stable of those spirit horses that are there, you know. And uh, that's just, I'm going ha- to get an answer to that question one of these days. I know you folks don't know. You can't tell me that. But somebody knows about those heavenly horses up in that pasture that uh, they're rounded up and all the saints and angels come back on them and Christ comes on that white horse. Somebody's got to saddle them up and take care of them, you know. So that's, that's uh, kind of a silly uh, thing, I know. But uh, it's, a, it's an intriguing, interesting, one of those things that we just have to leave aside and have answered. Uh, like wasn't it David was saying, there's a lot of things we don't know yet. There's just some things that we just have to kind of just leave unspoken. We kind of fill in so, some of the things that we know and we can logically, we can uh, conclude certain things. But illogically, and there's some things we just have to just leave aside. But uh, okay, Elijah was going to be taken up into heaven. And in verse 11, It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And uh, so he goes on, and as he was going up, his mantle fell off, and the Elisha took up the mantle, and wore it, the priest robe, the, uh, the authenticating uh, uh, thing of his attire that sh- proclaimed him as a prophet and that mantle of authority fell on Elisha. And uh, verse 15, and when the sons of the prophets, uh, prophetic schools of one of the three schools that uh, Elijah had uh, formed, when the sons of the prophets uh, which were to view uh, at Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Remember it the spirit of Elijah on the spirit of Elisha. And they said unto him, Behold now, uh, there's uh, fifty strong men here. Let's uh, go, we pray you, and seek your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him uh, till he was ashamed, he said, Okay, go ahead. They sent, therefore, fifty men and they sought three days, but found him not. They were looking for Elijah, but they didn't find him. Uh, They thought, well, he had fallen out of the chariot as he was going to heaven. Maybe he fell out and, and he's out there wounded and we can go help him. And Elisha knew, no, don't, you'll never find him. God took him. Well, they persisted. Okay, go ahead. Then they came back and had egg on their face, I guess, in those days uh, because they couldn't find him. And uh, so Elijah was uh, taken up from the earth. Elisha took his place. Now, here's, here's the rest of the story. I go to uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 21. You, you'll have to read a lot more. Verses, then, we're going to say here. I'll just fill you in a little bit here. And we'll read uh, 2 Chronicles, the 21st chapter, uh, beginning in verse uh, 12. And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of David, your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, nor in the ways of Asa king of Judah but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab and also have slain your brethren of your father's house which were better than yourself. Behold with a great plague will the Lord smite the people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods and you shall have great sickness of disease of your bowels until your bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. And so this happened to Jehoram, who was a descendant of the king. Uh, It happened to him because of his evilness. His bowels just, you know, got distended and rotted away and fell out and he died. Now, let's paraphrase a little bit here in explanation. You know, Elijah was taken up to heaven. Elisha took his place. There was a transition in the kings from uh, the kings that were there in uh, Jehoshaphat and uh, and, uh, Asa into uh, Jehoram. And Jehoram was so evil. Now, years later, and you can calculate either seven to ten years, somewhere in that time, depending on how you count the time, uh, you can can trace the time of the thrones of the kings and the time uh, and... uh, take a chronology, dating from different sources. And it's between seven and ten years later, Elijah is on this earth, alive, writing a letter, rebuking that king for his sins. So, we know here that, just a summary, Elijah was taken up into the heaven of this earth. He was taken over here. He put down here, God put him there. Nobody could find him. He was there. The prophets looked for him. They couldn't find him. Years later, when it was necessary for Elijah to express his uh, agreement with Elisha and write a letter rebuking the king for his sin, then he wrote a letter and he was alive on this earth. Now, what happened to Elijah after that? He died. Somewhere between that time, after that time he died, he's dead in his grave waiting for the resurrection. Now, let me read a little bit here um, from uh let's see, uh let's let's change it a little bit here because we're going to go to Jesus and the mountaintop uh vision there of the uh time when Moses, uh James, Peter, and John went with Jesus up on the mountaintop. Go to Matthew the seventeenth chapter, and uh, we'll uh include part of this I think it will help us. Matthew the seventeenth chapter. After six days, Jesus "...took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah, appeared Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Uh, If you will, let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Elijah, three tabernacles." What does the Feast of Tabernacles portray? Doesn't the Feast of Tabernacles portray the millennial time ahead, the future, when God is going to tabernacle with man and then a time of eternal tabernacling with uh, God forever? And uh, so Peter said, you know, let's get the significance of this uh, now and make three tabernacles. Well, Jesus uh, didn't let him do that. And then he said, verse 9, Jesus said, As they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged him, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Now, uh, the incident that occurred was a vision. Now, let me, let me read from uh, my Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. And uh, it's fine print, and I copied it, so let me, let me see if I can read this. Uh, because a vision and a dream uh, are used uh, interchangeably synonymous. Here is uh, the synonyms. A dream is the general term for the ideas or images present to the mind in sleep. We know that generally, a dream. You see something kind of vaguely, uh, you know, of occurrences in a dream, and it seems like you always wake up at the worst time. It's never completed, you know. You get, oh, I got to go back to sleep and finish that dream. It doesn't work that way, does it? Uh, then, a vision is an appearance, commonly thought of as superior, or sometimes the bodily. I either in sleep or in an exalted waking mood. A dream suggests a vague or idle, commonly happy anticipation. A vision more definitely or an elaborate picture conjured up by the fancy. So, Uh, it seems that a vision is a a progression more realistic and quite often others uh, dictionaries and meanings will say that this is more common in uh, religions and religions and in the occult and where a person has a vision which is stronger and better and more advanced over than just a, a dream while asleep. Now... Let's look at uh, we, we saw just a little bit here about uh, uh, Elijah, and uh, let's go to because we introduced a little bit here to John the Baptist, and we talked a little bit about the spirit that would uh, of uh, Enoch and Moses. And uh, let's go to uh, Malachi, the fourth chapter. Malachi for the last. Book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible. uh, Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Okay, now let's look at... uh, we saw Matthew 17, let's, let's look at Matthew 11th chapter, verse 11, Matthew 11:11. 11, 11. Verily I say unto you, among them, this is Jesus talking, that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. So Jesus said this, in referring to John, this is Elijah that was prophesied to come. Uh, Was that Elijah? Or was it John the Baptist? Which one was it? Okay, let's go to Luke, uh, the first chapter. Uh, let's see. I'll just have to look at a few verses here for time's sake. Luke 1 and uh, verse 17. Luke 1, 17, Talking about the birth of John the Baptist uh, when the angel was revealing to his parents uh, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Uh, many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. Verse 17, Luke 1. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children of disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John, the first chapter. Verse 21. And when he was uh, preaching and baptizing uh, the Jews and the priests and Levites, they came from Jerusalem. Who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you then that prophet Isaiah that he was uh, speaking? No, he said. And then they said unto him, who are you that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What say you of yourself? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And so they went away. And so he said, I'm just, I'm John the Baptist. I'm the prophet that was to come. I was prophesied by, I'm not Elijah. Uh, Don't confuse me with him. Now, uh, the spirit of Elijah was to rest on John the Baptist. And so he was representing uh, of John the Baptist. Now Moses, let's just, just kind of paraphrase this. Moses was a lawgiver. We know that. He brought the law. He was, a, he was called the lawgiver. Jesus Christ interpreted. He brought the law. He brought the commandments from God. He gave us the law. He was the original authentic lawgiver, Jesus Christ. Elijah, Enoch, they upheld the laws of God, the commandments of God their spirit, their attitude was in obedience and righteousness. They had a spirit of righteousness. And that spirit of righteousness rested on John the Baptist. And so he was in like manner like Elijah and like um, Moses, like uh, Enoch, like Christ, like God. Like, we're like him. We're made in his image, aren't we? We keep the commandments. We're obedient. We're righteous. And so we're likened a little bit uh, to... Jesus Christ. Now, um, one more final question of, uh, pardon me, final scripture and a few closing comments and we'll conclude this message for today. But uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians, back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and verse 50. This is very wonderful, beautiful chapter, and we refer to it uh, continually over the years. And uh, I'll just, w- just read one verse, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood, that's us. We're flesh and blood. Like Herbert Armstrong, you say, memories, remember this, give it the old hat pin test. If <laughs> you think you're born again, you're a spirit, give it the old hat pin test. Stick your arm with a pen. You'll say, ouch, and you'll bleed. Flesh and blood. But we've been translated into the kingdom. But flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we are members and representatives in the church of God. We're a part of the kingdom of God and its expansion as that missionary outreach and uh, uh, the um, embassy the on this earth of the kingdom of God. But when we're spirit and born into the kingdom, we'll be a part of the spirit world in the kingdom of God and no longer subject to the fleshly death. So it's very clear, where are Enoch and Elijah today? They're asleep, they're dead, they're in their grave. Uh, they will be awakened at the first resurrection. When we are awakened uh, from our death or from our sleep and uh, from our life and changed in resurrection with them, we'll all inherit the kingdom of God at the same time. Now, Enoch, a man of faith, walked with God, withstood evil, ungodly men. We saw that from the scriptures. God protected him, removed him so he was not found. He will be in the first resurrection to live eternally. He will not die forever as a consequence of his human sins because he will be forgiven and will be in the first resurrection. And he will be and is a great witness for righteousness, for walking and having faith. He is held out as, a, as an example of faith in Hebrews 11. Elijah was righteous, a man of obedience to the law, protected by God, taken from this earth to another place, translated, transformed. We know that from scripture that he was alive at least seven to ten years later in the physical life. He was a true saint of God, was protected, wasn't found. Uh, They looked for him, but they couldn't find him. We, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to walk with God, to be faithful to him till death. We also are to be in the first resurrection with them to receive the promise of eternal life along with them when Christ returns at that first resurrection of the saints.